On Wednesday nights at 5.30, we have a gourmet chef that prepares meals. And um, the idea was that because uh, people's job commitments can be such where it's difficult to go home, have dinner, go back out to church, let's just have a time for those who want to gather early uh, from 5.30 till about uh, 7. They can have dinner and uh, hang out, meet people, then have Bible study, and then... um, hang out more if they'd like to. We often have music now out by the cafe. So there's worship and great music, lattes and the whole bit. So if you want to come out, uh, come on out Wednesday night. We invite you, especially this one Wednesday, where we have communion scheduled at 7 p.m. Now the Operation Christmas Child is basically where you get a shoebox and you put all sorts of toys in it that are age appropriate, uh, certain toiletries, but you don't want to give a kid you know, like a bunch of toilet paper and shampoo and soap. You want them to have fun, so you want to put cool stuff in there. And it's a simple project. It's a project that uh, the whole family can get involved in. Kids generally look forward to this every year because it's a ministry they can tangibly, um, they they can see it, they can put the toys in the box and then pray for the child uh, who's going to get that box. Then those boxes will be sorted out And they'll put little tracks in there and coloring books that are uh, suited to the different languages these boxes are going to go. And uh, we've collected thousands of them. Last year we collected 20,000 of them in Albuquerque, and I don't know how many in the whole state. But we figure that if we bring uh, each a shoebox and then uh, go back and get another shoebox and do it again, and each of us bring two, um, or if you have a family of uh, five, uh, bring five shoe boxes, and then you might want to get five more. You might want to pass out some of these flyers to your school or people at work and get them to do it. And then we're hoping that you'll have an opportunity to pass some of these boxes out. I know sometimes opportunities can be available uh, in the local area like down in Mexico. When we find that out, we'll let you know. But that's the other extension. It's going to be a blast. Then at the end of November, Franklin Graham's going to be here and speak on a Sunday morning, and we can pray for those boxes and uh, pray for the kids that are going to get them. So would you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7 this morning? Whenever somebody speaks for a company, is the company rep, or runs an advertisement for a product, You would certainly expect that that representative would characterize the company. But when the Gerber company first started selling baby food to Africa, they used the same package as they did in the United States of America, which posed a problem because, um, well, you know what that looks like. The Gerber baby jar has a little cuddly cute baby in the front of the jar. Well, in Africa, since so many people are illiterate, their form of packaging is to put a picture of what's on the inside of the jar to put that on the outside. Well, that caused great confusion, and uh, the product didn't go over very well. Uh, When Pepsi started selling its products in China, they translated their slogan, Pepsi brings you back to life, very literally. And the Chinese rendering of it got twisted so that it came out in Chinese to mean Pepsi will bring your ancestors back from the grave. (laughs) Not a pretty thought. 
The Chevrolet Corporation didn't do very well when they tried to sell their Chevy Nova because in Spanish, Nova means it doesn't work, it doesn't go. <laughs> Buy a car that doesn't go. Okay. And then Coors put its slogan, Turn It Loose, into Spanish, and it was read as, Suffer from Diarrhea. Listen, these are innocent mistakes, but babies are not in jars and no product will bring your ancestors back from the grave. That's the point. It was false advertising. And anyone who would claim to speak for God must represent God or else he is termed a false prophet. For someone to speak in the name of the Lord and God isn't speaking, that is false advertising. The, the term prophet simply means one who speaks for another. Somebody who speaks for another. A company rep. A prophet is a company rep. God's rep on earth. Whether in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. You may remember back in 1988 there was an interesting little booklet that was published called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Was Coming Back in 88. Uh, it was 4.3 million copies sold that by a certain date in September, might have been September 1st or whatever, uh, Jesus would come back. And uh, I remember being sternly warned not to challenge that, but to promote it because I'd be left behind if I didn't. Well, I didn't. And I didn't get left behind unless there was some secret rapture that nobody else knows about. It was a false prophecy, false advertising. And these things are not new. Every few years you'll hear somebody say this or you'll hear guys like Sun Myung Moon back in the 70s saying that the world would be placed in his hand and he would conquer the world. Didn't happen. They all said these words. These words didn't come to pass. They were false claims. Question, does everyone who speak for God necessarily speak for God? Answer, no. Next question, how can you tell? That's where we come to this paragraph in the Sermon on the Mount. And you'll notice that it begins with a very interesting word, the term beware. We've had about 16 paragraphs so far in the Sermon on the Mount. They're filled with instruction. They're filled with edification. They're filled with admonition. This is the first time we have a beware sign hung up a warning label hung out there by Jesus Christ. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. It's interesting to me that this paragraph follows the statement just previous to this, where Jesus says, enter into the narrow gate for Wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many enter therein. But narrow is the gate, difficult is the way that leads to eternal life, and few find it. It's interesting now that this beware comes on the heels of that. As if to say, if you decide to walk in through that narrow gate, which is a difficult way, know that you're going to have some company hanging out at the gate who want to widen the gate, who don't agree that there's only one way to get to the kingdom through that narrow gate. And who are they? They are fake sheep. 
That's who they are. Fake sheep. Oh, they look like sheep, but inwardly, Jesus said, they are wolves. They're trying to pull the wool over your eyes, you might say. This is uh, Lambo. They're out to get you. There's an old saying, and I think Satan has adopted it. If you can't beat them, join them. So if you look at church history, the first 100, 200, 300 years of church history, it was a, uh, an incredible frontal assault of persecution against the church. The church only grew. The way Satan has been successful is to join the church. And the proliferation of falseness, false doctrine, false teaching from within. Hence the warning, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes and figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you shall know them. First thing we notice in this warning paragraph is that these false prophets are warned about cautiously. The term beware. Anytime you see a sign, beware of dog, what do you think? You think, I'm going to go through that gate. No, you slow down a little bit. You're cautious. You think it's going to be this huge Doberman Pinscher. It turns out to be a little Chihuahua or something. You think, what's the big deal? Beware of dog. I saw a sign the other day in a car that said, Beware, I'm 16 and I just got my license. I like that. At least they were honest. Well, throughout the scripture, these beware signs are hung at different locations. For instance, Deuteronomy chapter 13 and 18, Moses warns against false teachers, false prophets, Dreamers of dreams, people who propose to speak in the name of the Lord. In the prophet Isaiah, he warns of the prophet who teaches lies and causes my people to err. Jeremiah warns of the prophets who prophesy lies in my name. And God says, I have not sent them. Jesus warns of them. Paul warns of them. Peter warns of them. And John, all of them warn the church about falseness, deception, prophets that are wrong. In fact, John, the apostle, goes far into the future where somebody will arise called the Antichrist and his sidekick is interestingly named the false prophet. All of these warnings throughout the scripture, which... Which brings us to the understanding that one of the major roles of the devil is deception. He loves to deceive. Jesus said he is a liar and the father of it. And as history moves closer and closer to the end times, you can expect to see a proliferation of false prophets. That's what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 24. Many will come in my name saying, I am Christ and deceive many. And many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Question, why? Answer, well, Isaac Newton put it this way. Every action will have an equal and opposite reaction. So whenever God is moving, expect Satan to counter move. 
You know, when you turn on the light, you can expect the bugs to come. You turn on the light of truth and the gospel, you can expect Satan's bugs to come around that light, to swarm. You see, there is a longing in man's heart to know God, to worship something. It's the way we were created. But whenever mankind sets aside the authentic and rejects that, they're open to anything and everything. And so, today's posture is a generic spirituality. I call it a salad bar spirituality. Where we stand at the salad bar and we go, I like that element, but I don't like that. I'll put this dressing on. No, I don't want that. So, we want um, uh, Christianity light. I'll have a medium. No, no, no. Make that a small order of Christianity. Hold the guilt. I'm on a guilt-free diet. Add a little Hinduism, maybe a little Buddhism, a few New Age spices. Boom, got my meal. I I like the Sermon on the Mount bit about love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, The golden rule, we'll take that. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Let's throw that in. I like those parts. Let's cut out all the rest. And so whenever you have that sort of ideology, that mentality, there's going to be a lot of people who will arise to serve it up. Hence, Beware of false prophets who will come to you. There is an interesting group of people. They've been around for quite some time. Ironically called the World Council of Churches. That have done more to spread false prophecy, false doctrine, than probably any other group. World Council of Churches. Recently in Switzerland there was a consortium of theologians of the World Council of Churches. And um, these 25 theologians that met together all agreed by saying, quote, all religious traditions are ambiguous. In other words, they are a combination of good and bad. And they said, we need to move beyond a theology which confines salvation to the explicit personal commitment to Jesus Christ. Can you imagine the World Council of Churches saying, we got to get over this Jesus-only business that you get to heaven by only Jesus and a commitment to Jesus. One of the theologians at that meeting spoke. He's from Korea, and he said to the World Council, I discovered my bowel is shamanist, my heart is Buddhist, and my head is a Christian head. It's a combination. So... We are warned against these false prophets very cautiously in this verse. Beware. Be on the lookout. Don't sleep. Keep your discernment antennas up. Second thing to notice is that they disguise themselves beautifully. Notice in verse 15, they come to you in sheep's clothing. By the way, notice that you don't have to look for them. They'll come to you. You don't have to go out on a campaign. I'm going to find me a false prophet. No, no, they'll come knocking on your door, riding bicycles and having suits and ties and little magazines to sell you. Yeah, they'll come right to your door. They'll come to you. But they disguise themselves beautifully. They're not going to knock on the door and go, Hi, I'm your neighborhood false prophet. Got ten minutes? I'd love to deceive you. No, no, they'll come with the Bible and they'll smile and they'll even say God talk and Christianese and you'll think, oh, they're, they're so sincere. They're so good. I heard what they said. They smiled at me. They love me. They really love me. 
so we have to be careful. Think Little Red Riding Hood. Rather than coming like the wolf, he comes in a disguise to Grandma's house. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then if his servants will masquerade as servants of righteousness. Even the book of Revelation describes the false prophet as one who looked like a lamb but spoke like a dragon. And these people looking like a lamb will even say, I have a message from God. My ministry is from God. This is a gift from God. And there is a modern push towards syncretism. That is, you take pagan ideologies and you mix it with Christianity and say, this is the new form of Christianity. I found this article in a newspaper. Madam Linda, half price with this ad, guaranteed to cure evil problems in 20 minutes. Seeing is believing, and when you see with your eyes, your heart will believe. Are you suffering? Are you sick? Do you have bad luck? There is no problem too great she cannot solve. If you're suffering from alcoholism and can't find a cure, don't fail to see this gifted lady from God. A clairvoyant in the name of God telling people their future and curing all of these ailments. And what disguise do you think is the most powerful disguise of all for wolves to wear? Miracles. Signs. Wonders. Ooh, ah, wow. Did you see that? That must be from God. It's a powerful miracle. There's no better way to distribute lies than through miracles because people are hungry for them. No wonder then lots of late-night television is filled with the paranormal. I don't know if you've ever got the uh, guy who tells people their past and their relatives are dead and he's listening to their relatives and then speaking to them about their relatives. His name is John Edwards. No, not that John Edwards. Um, Different one. Although, no, I won't even get into that. I won't even get into that. (laughs) It's just so popular. UFOs. Out in uh, the area of uh, southern New Mexico, there's a lady who said she saw the face of Jesus in a tortilla. (laughs) Now, that's the normal reaction. (laughs) Yeah, right. Thousands of people came to see Jesus' face in the tortilla. It was hung up on a wall. Stories about crucifixes shedding tears and bleeding, signs, wonders, miracles. Listen carefully. The world is scheduled to be deceived by a miracle worker. That's the prediction. Jesus said it, and Paul in 2 Thessalonians writes of the Antichrist that is coming, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. So beware. Don't be swayed by someone's charm or someone's degrees or someone's miracles. Lift the fleece up and see just how bad it is when you look at them. Is it a wolf or is it a sheep? Now look at verse 16, because Jesus changes his whole analogy here. He's been speaking about animals, wolves and sheep. Now he changes the metaphor 
to agriculture, fruit and fruit trees. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes and figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Um, I'm issuing a call this morning for all of us to become fruit inspectors. That's your new mandate. Next time somebody says, don't judge people when you say, that's wrong, that's heretical, that's not biblical, that's not true. When somebody says, you're not supposed to judge, you tell them, okay, I'm not going to be a judge, but I'm called to be a fruit inspector. Jesus mandated that I inspect people's fruit. Now, no tree can hide its identity very long. Though certain trees may look alike at first, once they start bearing those little pods that turn into fruit, you can tell what kind of tree they are. Well, how can we tell the true from the false? I'm going to give you three tests this morning, three tests. First is the test of character. Second is the test of creed. Third is the test of converts. First is the test of character. You'll know them by their fruit, Jesus said. Now, if you, you read further in the New Testament, you come to Galatians chapter 5, which talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc. Now, what is the fruit of the Spirit? It simply means that when, as a person, you say, Lord Jesus, be my Savior, be my Lord, come inside, take over, the Holy Spirit comes in starts changing. Paul put it this way, Christ wants to dwell in your heart. And that word means to come in and make himself at home. So when Jesus comes into your life, he loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way you are, so he starts changing. He starts rearranging the furniture. He doesn't like the pictures that might be on the wall of your mind. He says, I want those gone. I want to put this in its place. I want you to read this now. I want you to do this now. And you find the rearrangement brings changes. The things that you wanted to do before, you don't want to do anymore. The things that you didn't want to do, you start having an appetite for them suddenly. When I first came to Christ, I was smoking marijuana. I didn't see anything wrong with it. It's an herb of the gr ground. God created it, man. What's up with it? But it wasn't long before the Holy Spirit who came inside and Christ who wanted to make himself at home said, I'm not at home with this. And I experienced the whole need and desire to get rid of it and replace. Things I didn't want to do like read the Bible, suddenly I had an appetite to do. I wanted to go to church a lot. People didn't understand it. I wanted to be a preacher. A lot of people didn't understand that. Like in my 10-year high school reunion, what do you do now? I'm a minister of the gospel. Oh, I'm so sorry. What happened? So these are life changes that occur, character changes that occur. And like an onion, God takes one layer at a time. Now, to the early church, character was an important um, test if a person was a true or a false prophet. They even wrote a book called the Didache, the teaching 
of the Twelve. It was distributed among early churches as a manual on how to tell a true prophet from a false prophet by certain behavioral characteristics. One of them was funny. It says, if somebody comes in your midst and says, Thus saith the Lord, you shall prepare a large feast. It said, go ahead and prepare the feast. But if he comes in and starts eating of it, he's a false prophet. Because he's in it just for himself, not for the Lord's work. Years ago, I was in Garden Grove, California, 20-some years ago, teaching a Bible study, and, and I taught one night through Book of the Bible. Somebody came in and introduced himself as a prophet. I thought, great, I want to meet a prophet. Because I'm a prophet of God. I said, ooh, wow, nice to meet you, prophet of God. And um, he had his eyes on a little lady, a young lady in our uh, Bible study, and he said, thus saith the Lord, you know, with his hand raised toward her, thus saith the Lord, this woman shall be my wife. I thought, this creep, he can't have enough guts to just date her. (laughs) Thus saith the Lord, this woman shall be my wife. The only problem is she was wearing a wedding ring. She was already married. And she said that to him. And he said, well, it's obvious you've married the wrong man. So, you know, we we beat him up. No, we didn't do that. But we, we escorted him out of the Bible study. Like Jesus said, they will come to you. That's the test of character. Second is the test of creed. Because in Proverbs, um, Solomon speaks of the fruit of one's mouth as your words. The words that a person says, what that person believes in. What that person says about God, his or her teaching. Anyone who teaches publicly from a pulpit, on the radio, writing books, writing magazine articles, is publicly accountable. And that's why Paul seemed to love that young group of Christians in the town of Berea in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. He'd been traveling from church to church. He gets to Berea, and Luke records those in Berea were more noble or fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the Word of God with all readiness of mind, but they searched the Scriptures daily to see if those things were so. Paul liked that. They didn't even take Paul the Apostle's word for it. They searched the Bible to see if it was so. And that's an important thing. Not just to go, oh, that was wonderful, but you know what, I'm going to check on that. I'm going to read the Bible for myself to see if God is saying that in His word. What is the creed of the false prophet? I can give you a few suggestions. There's no narrow gate. It's a wide gate. It's a broad way. There are many roads to God. I can tell you something else. They're going to deny the historical essentials of the Christian faith, like the vicarious atonement, the substitutionary death, the bodily resurrection of Christ. The person and work of Christ will be attacked. It bothers me, honestly, when I meet some well-meaning Christians who will say something like, doctrine really isn't important. What really is important is are you sincere right here? How do you feel in your heart? I understand it's nice to feel fuzzy, but doctrine is important. Truth is important. When you're giving people directions for eternity, that's important stuff. Example, somebody's blind and is at the edge of a cliff, and he asks you for directions. Which way should I step? Would you say, doesn't matter as long as you're sincere. (laughs) Hey, listen, tolerance isn't a virtue here. Truth is, you take one wrong step and you're doomed. Or if you go to a doctor and the doctor says, you have a malignant tumor. 
And you say, I do? Doctor, what do I do? What would you think if the doctor said, doesn't really matter as long as you're sincere? What do you mean by that, Doc? Well, you could go home and just wait it out, or I could operate on you, or you could have chemotherapy or radiotherapy, all sorts of different options. But as long as you're sincere, what? He'd be a quack. And there are many spiritual quacks who are giving directions that are eternal directions and just saying it doesn't really matter as long as you're sincere. Doctrine is important. There was a Sunday school class, and the Sunday school teacher asked the class, what is false doctrine? And one of the children hearing it confused doctrine with doctoring. You know, what's false doctrine? They must have been down south or something. And the little student said, it's when a doctor gives wrong stuff to people who are sick. That's false doctrine. And you know what? That is false doctrine. When you give the wrong stuff to people who are spiritually sick, it matters for all of eternity. So the test of character, the test of creed. Third, the test of converts. The test of converts. Watch the effect of the teaching that is being disseminated in the lives of those who are receiving it. And and it's not always readily apparent Even Paul the Apostle wrote in the New Testament, their teaching will spread like gangrene. It will eventually erode their spiritual walk. So you want to look at what is the effect and the result long-term of the teaching that is going out from whatever source it's going out from. Now I want to get practical in closing this message because I realize I'm speaking to a Christian church here, the body of Christ by and large, You're not false prophets, I trust. However, there are tendencies that arise that I just wish the church would have spiritual antennae for. And watch, there are ravenous wolf-like tendencies that can crop up. A book was put out a few years back, and it's been republished since. And it's called, um, it's by Marshall Shelley. It's entitled, Well-Intentioned Dragons. Well-intentioned dragon, subtitle, Ministering to Problem People in the Church. And he lists personality profiles of, uh, of different ones that he has observed after pastoring for many years that, that can be troublemakers and, and create splits and division and hardship. And he gives them titles. Uh, one he calls the bird dog. The four-legged bird dogs point to where the hunter should shoot. Two-legged bird dogs love to be the pastor's eyes, ears, and nose sniffing out items for attention. You know, sin sniffers. There's one pastor. Get it. Sick them. Of particular bother, says Shelley, is the super spiritual bird dog. This purebred strain is more likely to point to things that always leave leaders feeling defensive and not quite spiritual. For instance, the Lord has laid it on my heart that we need to be praying for more spiritual renewal. Shelley says, who could argue otherwise? After all, if the Lord is saying that to you. Or we need to develop more discipleship and maturity within this congregation. Wouldn't you say, Pastor? These people like to give the impression that they're more spiritual than anyone else. Next is the wet blanket. If you've ever heard the phrase, it's no use trying, you probably spotted the wet blanket. These people have a negative disposition that's contagious. They spread gloom. They erase excitement. 
they bog down the ministry. Their motto is nothing ventured, nothing lost. The entrepreneur, just the opposite of the wet blanket, the entrepreneur is enthusiastic. He's the first to greet visitors at the church and invite them to his home. Unfortunately, in addition to being enthusiastic about the church, he's equally eager to sell them vitamins, bee pollen, and car wax. (laughs) Then there's Captain Bluster. Captain Bluster is the person who speaks with an exclamation point instead of a period. This kind of person is a steamroller who flattens anyone in his way with his overwhelming certainty that his way is the only way to do it. Negotiation is a dirty word, compromise unspeakable. The sniper is the next on the list. The sniper avoids face-to-face conflict but picks off people with pot shots and private conversation such as the cryptic, be sure and pray for our pastor, he has some problems, you know. Be sure and pray for Holland. (laughs) Pray for us all. The merchant of muck breeds dissatisfaction by attracting others who know he's more willing to listen and elaborate on things that are wrong. And then finally, the legalist, whose list of absolutes stretches from what kind of car a person can drive to the number of verses in a hymn that must be sung. So these are not false prophets necessarily, this list, but the same kind of ravenous, divisive spirit is present. So here's my exhortation. Stay in the word. Use discernment. Don't be fooled by sheep costumes. Somebody says, I'm a sheep. Just pull up the wool. Make sure. Somebody says, I'm bearing forth fruit. Just lift up the leaves and examine the fruit a little more carefully. That's all. Otherwise, it could be a real bad idea, right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and for the truthness, the truth of Jesus, the veracity that he spoke so often, uh, putting things in proper perspective, warning those that love him, those that follow him, to the extent that we might be ones that bear forth good fruit, that the kingdom may grow, that we would be fruitful and multiply in a spiritual sense. Thank you, Lord, for the sweet Holy Spirit that lives among us. And I pray, Lord, that we as your body would love, embrace, but protect. Give us a measure of wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing and let's sing and let's sing.